Hi, everybody. I'm Toby Logsdon from BibleStudyPodcasts.org. You know, for the past six years, it's been amazing for me to watch what the Lord has done with this ministry. And I started it in seminary with no intent of it being anything that would lead me anywhere in life or anything like that necessarily, only to watch the Lord use this ministry in ways that I never could have imagined. My hope was to be able to come to you today with two pretty important announcements about our ministry, but at this point, only one of those two things is set in stone, and that is that we'll be introducing an Android app for BibleStudyPodcasts.org within the next couple of months. As you may know, we already have an app for the iPod and iPhone. If you search for Bible SP on iTunes, you'll find it. But with our growth and the expansion of mobile devices, we realize that not only would introducing an Android app make it easier for you to listen to our weekly messages, but our prayer is also to broaden our listener base. And as soon as this app is available, Like I said, it should be in the next couple of months. I'll be sure not only to announce it here on the podcast, but if you have liked us on Facebook, you'll be certain to find the announcement there as well. It's only because of the prayer support and financial support of you as our listeners that we're able to keep up with the times, so to speak, and expand in this direction. So for those of you who have supported us, a heartfelt thank you. We really appreciate your giving to our ministry and keeping us going and growing. As for the second announcement that I had hoped to make today, Lord willing, I'll be able to make that announcement very, very soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Almost a full month into uh, into the new year. Can you believe it's less than eleven months till Christmas? Uh, I'm just kidding. But you know, toward the end of, of every calendar year, uh, you can guarantee that you know, especially if, if you get on the internet, uh, that you'll find scores of these best of lists from uh, you know from the previous year. You know, featuring highlights or maybe lowlights of what had happened in the, the year that had preceded that point. And one of the funniest lists that I've come across uh, is this list of the most outrageous manufacturer warnings of the year. Uh, and of course, you know, everybody knows what a manufacturer warranty is or a, a manufacturer warning is uh, because we're, we're surrounded buy them. I mean, you can't even go to the store and buy floss or, or you know, uh, mouthwash or anything without finding some kind of warning label on the product. Well, for, for last year, the runner-up prize for the most outrageous warning, level, uh, warning label of 2012 was on the packaging of an electric razor, which said, never use while sleeping. Never use this electric razor while sleeping. Man, you want to talk about how people are lacking in common sense. So they, it's like you look at that and you, th- and you think to yourself, do they really need to put it on there? I mean, yeah, maybe for some people that would be good advice. I, I don't know. You know maybe, maybe it's good advice. Um, the first uh, place prize went to uh, a globe which measured seven inches in diameter, which came with a label that said, these globes should not be referred to for navigational purposes. 
I mean, who needs, who needs to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on a GPS system when you can get this seven-inch diameter globe, uh, you know, that you can just put on the, you know, right on the console of your car, right? And that'll, that'll tell you where to go. It's like, man, do they really have to put it on there? The thing is, maybe somebody out there really would think that this is what it's all for. <laughs> maybe I should be doing exactly, you know, what the manufacturer is warning me against doing. Uh, some of the best over the years, my personal favorites, are uh, remove child from folding. That was a label that was placed on a fold-up baby stroller. <laughs> Never operate your speakerphone while driving. And this was a label that was on a hands-free cell phone device called the Drive and Talk. <laughs> what? Or, or how about this one? Danger, avoid death. <laughs> that, that was on a child's toy tractor. <laughs> you know, that's a good idea. Avoid death, you know, at all costs. You know, and, and while these make for, you know, kind of humorous and, and, and fascinating discussion, the reality is that these, uh, these warning labels, these manufacturer warning labels were put on these products because the manufacturer had a fear of being sued by the consumer. Now, Personally, I, I don't think that a person who is going to fold up the baby stroller with the baby still in it should be allowed to even operate a slinky, much less be given uh, responsibility for a child. Uh, but someone somewhere thought, you know what, we'd better cover all of our bases, even the ones that seem just so ridiculous that, you know, it should be common sense. Right? Somebody uh, was thinking ahead, you know, there might be somebody who finds some way to use our product uh, and then they will come back and sue us. So they fear the consumer and oftentimes with, uh, with good reason, especially in a, in a society where people will sue over the silliest things. You know, taking some manufacturer to court for, you know, the fact that they got lost uh, while trying to follow the, the navigational, you know, globe. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it could happen. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. There have been some outrageous lawsuits out there that are probably just as bad as that. But, you know, we live in a culture in which fear is viewed as a bad thing, that fear is a negative thing. Uh, If you remember, uh, about 15 years ago, there was a really, really popular slogan uh, that simply said, no fear. And people would, you know, put it on the back of their pickups. I think pickups were the the most common places to see those. And I I don't know if they had them up here in the Washington area. But Southern, they did? Okay. Yeah, Southern California and Las Vegas, those are the two places where I was spending a lot of time, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And those things were everywhere. Um, And maybe it's just part of the human condition, uh, pridefulness, but we don't like to encourage people to be fearful, even though... What we're going to see today is that a healthy dose of fear can be a very good thing. You know, every season on The Biggest Loser, you guys know The Biggest Loser is one of my favorite shows, but one of the first things they'll have contestants do when they come to the ranch, The Biggest Loser Ranch, uh, is that they'll have them go and visit a doctor who runs a battery of very sophisticated tests on their bodies. And after the, the results of these tests are analyzed over and over and, you know, brought together and reanalyzed. The contestants are brought in to talk to the doctor where the doctor tells them, based on their test results, how much longer they can expect to live. And based on that number, the number of years they have left, they'll tell, uh, for example, they'll tell like a 30-year-old, you know, you might be 30 years old, but with the damage you've done to your body, uh, you have the insides of a 67-year-old, and so you can expect to die within the next 13 years. And that 
is something to be afraid of. That's, that's scary stuff for a 30-year-old because they're not even thinking that far in advance. And so the reaction of the contestants typically is they initially kind of go into shock. They get this kind of blank look on their face, and that's followed by a lot of tears. Why the reaction? Because they're scared. And they should be. They should be. But we hate fear, don't we? I mean, we don't want to be afraid of things. You might even say that we fear fear. But what we're going to see today is that fear is not necessarily a negative thing at all. And that everyone has fears. Some fears are good. Some fears are not good. Some fears are healthy. Some fears are very unhealthy. But given the fact that everyone has fears, we're going to see today that what a person fears says a lot about what they idolize. What a person fears says a lot about what they idolize. Now, I like for a sermon to be positive, uplifting, and encouraging. And it's for that reason that we're hopefully all going to have an increased sense of fear by the time we're done here today. And hence the name of this sermon is not No Fear, N-O Fear. It's No Fear, K-N-O-W. No Fear. Now, the name of our current study is Uncommon Sense, and again, you know, we called it that because we're talking about principles of wisdom from Solomon's life and from Solomon's writings, which uh, one would think should be common sense. If these are things that you're already exercising, you might think that these are common sense, but these are things that seem to be ignored by and large by the vast majority of people in our culture. And in a world in which we're bombarded by the message that it is a bad thing to be fearful, that you, know, you don't want to live in fear, it's good to be reminded that without fear, it is impossible to be wise. Listen to what Solomon says. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the question has been asked more times than any one of us can count, more times than all of us together could probably count. Is it okay to tell a child that if they're bad, God is going to punish them? That's an interesting question, and it's been asked a lot of times. And they've done studies and surveys with this question uh, on this very issue. And I'll just say that the results have revealed that very, very few people in the church or outside of the church, think that we should be using fear as a motivational factor for people, either for children or for adults. Psychology has told us that if we, if we use fear, if we use threats of violence or vengeance on people, it can do serious emotional harm to their psyche. And sadly, many in the church, even church leadership, have listened And the biblical idea of fearing the Lord has been replaced with the image of God being this this loving Father who could never even be the slightest bit disappointed with us, who doesn't hold us to any standard except the standard that we choose to live by. Man, and I I look at that and I think, you know, if if it if my son needs to or or my daughter needs to fear God in order to get into heaven. Why would, I, why would I avoid that? Why would I avoid, why would I try to not let them feel the fear of the Lord, which Solomon says is the beginning 
of wisdom. I mean, there are Sunday school curriculums out there which have intentionally omitted any Old Testament references to God's wrath because they don't want children to be motivated to live obedient lives, to live holy and obedient lives uh, because of, of a fear of the Lord. So Solomon tells us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, one of the people in our church today, Neil, uh, is running the Boston Marathon. Has, any, has everybody in here heard of the Boston Marathon? It is, it's, it is the marathon in the United States. It's the most famous one. It's also one of the toughest ones to qualify for. You have to do more than just sign up and show up. You have to run a marathon before the Boston Marathon, and you have to run in a qualifying time, which, Neil, uh, refresh my memory, is it three hours and 15 minutes? Depending on your age. Depending on your age. Yeah, it's, it's, you can't go over four hours, uh, basically. And that is fast. That is a fast, fast marathon. Uh, so it's not something that just anybody can do. In fact, there are people who try for years to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and, and you have to finish another marathon under a certain time. And it's a pace. The pace that, that, that uh, qualifies you for the Boston Marathon separates casual runners from serious runners. If you're not a serious runner, you probably won't qualify for the Boston Marathon. And that, that's just the time to qualify. You can't even take the first step of the Boston Marathon if you haven't qualified. And that first step is to running the Boston Marathon, what the fear of the Lord is to wisdom. See, without the fear of the Lord, no person can even qualify to cross the starting line for wisdom. If you look at wisdom as, as kind of a race or a process, which we, which we grow in, and I think that, that's a good way of looking at wisdom. You can't even qualify for it if you don't have the fear of the Lord, much less get across the finish line. Just like a person who has never run a marathon before will be told to you know, take a hike and get lost if they tried to just come in and run the Boston Marathon. Anyone who wants to be counted among the wise... And you think about all the people who, supposed to, who are supposed to be so wise out in the world and yet deny the very existence of God. Anyone who wants to be counted among the wise but doesn't fear the Lord has another thing coming. When I was in college, I took an Old Testament uh, history class with a professor who taught a heresy called Marcionism. Now, keep in mind that I went to, uh, to a, a college that had in mind the goal of indoctrinating students with some extremely liberal theology, and that the head of the religion department even denied the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, they didn't have the goal of, of teaching us solid theology. They had the, the goal of teaching us uh, a lot of garbage. Anyway, Marcionism was one of the things that one of my professors taught. It's the belief that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. And that's what my professor, uh, I remember my professor uh, teaching us that. I remember being taught that the God of the New Testament didn't want us to fear him because the God of the New Testament is pure love. So it's not difficult to see why the early church rejected this view, rejected Marcion's view as one of the very earliest uh, heresies. And when I think about the fact that I was taught stuff like that, I mean, I, I could give you a list of, of stuff that I was taught that's just pure garbage. And to think that, man, it was out of that that Jesus saved me. Whew. 
Boy, that, that, that hits me. That really hits me. See, the reality is that if a person doesn't fear God, they don't know God. If they don't fear God, they don't know God, nor do they know much about him. Just like the only way that a contestant on The Biggest Loser wouldn't be scared for their life to see that number, to see that, you know, how many years they've got left, much shorter than they were expecting, um, based on you know, uh, the damage that they've done with obesity. So just like the only way that a contestant on The Biggest Loser wouldn't be afraid that they're, when they're told how much damage they're, they're done to their body is if they were completely ignorant of the damage that they've done. And that's why Solomon follows this first thought with, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this proverb actually sort of parallels one of the very first things that Solomon tells us in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, he also wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Parallel, very similar. And then he says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what we need to understand is that the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, puts a person in the company of the wise and the knowledgeable, but that conversely, failure to fear God puts a person in the company of fools. No matter how smart, how wise the world might think he is or she is, if they don't have the fear of God, they are a fool. Now, I'm talking about some of the people that we, you know, call geniuses who don't believe in God. The Bible says they are fools. They are fools. Fear of God is a foundational principle of wisdom. Without it, a person not only won't finish the race well, they won't even qualify to run in it, just like the qualifying requirements for the Boston Marathon separate the casual runner from the serious runner. Fear of the Lord separates the foolish from the wise, the sheep from the goats. Now, before we go any further, we should probably establish a working definition for fear because the Hebrew word for fear surely couldn't mean that you're actually afraid of God, right? I mean, it's got to mean something different. It's got to have like a secondary or a third meaning to it. No, it means you are afraid of God. It means you understand that you don't want to cross him. You don't want to make him mad. You don't want to get on his bad side. To fear God means that you are so overwhelmed at his awesomeness, at his power, at his greatness, that you're so overwhelmed by these attributes that it affects how you think. It affects how you feel, how you act, how you react to things, and it affects how you worship him. Fear affects all these things. Kenneth Boa and Gail Burnett define the fear of the Lord like this. The fear of the Lord is not a religious or doctrinal platform upon which we assemble facts about God. The tr- the fi- uh, sorry, the fear of the Lord opens the channel through which divine knowledge flows to us from the very fountainhead of truth. So it's like a gate. They, they're kind of likening it to a fountainhead where it comes out of here. And if you don't have this, you don't have everything that flows out of this fountainhead of truth either. See, we cannot even begin... Uh, to claim to know God if we have no fear of him. So why is this so important? Why is the fear of God, fear of the Lord, why is it so important? It's because without the fear of the Lord, every single one of us, and I'm going to put myself at the top of the list here, every single one of us is likely, if not probable, to walk away. 
every one of us, is likely to leave God out of our minds, out of our hearts, out of our thoughts, out of our ways, out of our plans. It's so easy for us to just become complacent in our faith and to settle into this way of thinking where God is our our friend and our comforter who would never see any reason to correct us and transform us from who we are into what he created us to be. See, we've talked about planning. We've talked about, you know, planning to do something for the Lord. Uh, We've talked about welcoming or inviting reproof. We've talked about watching our words in our current study. But without the fear of the Lord, neither you or I will include God or his will in our plans, nor will we welcome godly reproof, nor will we see any need for the Holy Spirit to direct and filter the words that we speak. See, everything that we've talked about so far in this study and and what we're talking about uh, next week as well, all of it is meaningless if you don't have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what keeps you doing these things. Every single one of us knows that we're going to have to stand before God someday and give an account for our lives. But without the fear of the Lord, without the fear of standing before him and saying, yes, I did this, yes, I did this, I admit it, yes, I did this, we will live in a way that reflects an ignorance of the fact that God is more than just the guy who takes our ticket stub and you know welcomes us into the pearly gates of heaven someday. See, the reality is that God, yes, God is going to welcome us into heaven someday, but for now, God wants to work on you and me. And if we don't fear him, we'll turn away from him the moment he tries to bring us outside of our comfort zone. And we'll worship some lesser God whom we create in our image, who maybe slightly resembles Yahweh, who maybe slightly resembles the God of the Bible, but who doesn't insist on our personal growth in holiness. Listen to what the Lord said as he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about the future covenant that God would make with his people, Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 37 to 40, we read, Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands. He's talking about how Israel was dispersed and he's going to bring them back. Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, and they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. See, God says that he will give his people one heart and one way. What does that refer to? It refers to Jesus. Jesus is the one way. Jesus, there is no other way other than Jesus. And I know that there are all these other liberal, you know, people who claim to be uh, Christians, but who say, oh, you know, God is a God of love and not wrath. And, you know, so he's going to welcome people into heaven if they have good intentions. No. No. Good intentions are not enough. Good intentions won't get anybody into heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and there is no, uh, no other way. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It must be by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Now, if you just read the first half of this passage, you might walk out of here with this understanding that God has made an everlasting covenant with you. 
because that's the kind of covenant that God wants to make. That's the kind of covenant he makes because he's an everlasting God. So it makes sense that covenants would be everlasting. And that's a great thing to understand. Don't get me wrong. It's a great thing to understand that, yes, you are secure in your salvation. God's grace is stronger than any true believer's desire to walk away from him could ever be. But this tells us, this tells us that he won't ever turn away from us. And that is an amazing thing to know. We're safe in our salvation. It can't be lost. Why? Because it's not based on our faithfulness to God. It's based on his faithfulness to us. And that's a great thing to know. But if you stop there in this passage, you'll miss the evidence of somebody who is on the receiving end of this everlasting covenant. Fear of the Lord. They will fear him. The evidence that God has made this everlasting covenant with a person is that they fear him. He's the one who puts it in there. And he puts it in there so that the person he's made this everlasting covenant with will never turn away from him. And that only makes sense if it's, uh, and, and that makes you know, perfect sense if it's true that a person can't even claim to know a single thing about God unless they fear him. See, if a person knows nothing about God, how could they possibly claim to receive his grace? How could they possibly know that they need to receive his grace? What does Jesus say about people who never knew him? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And of course, that is preceded by Jesus explaining, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's from verse 21, Matthew Matthew chapter 7. So why would anyone do the will of God? It's because they fear him, plain and simple. They, they fear him, so they do what, he, uh, what his will is. Conversely, the person who doesn't fear God will turn away from him, refusing to do his will. The reality is that fearing God has a lot of benefits, and that's one of the things that if, if you go through uh, the passage for today, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 through 18, you'll, you'll see that this is exactly what it's teaching too, that there are personal benefits to fearing God. It's, it's more than just, oh, you know, you have to fear God because God says so. No, there are a lot of good things that come out of fearing God, a lot of positive benefits to fearing Him. One of the most um, you know, popular books uh, in our day, but one of the best sellers of all times, is uh, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I believe personally that the reason that this book has sold so many millions and tens of millions of of copies, is that deep down inside, every single person on the face of the planet wants their life to have a purpose. Whether they are a believer or not, everybody wants their life to count. Everybody wants their life to have meaning and purpose. Everyone wants direction. That's why David wrote in Psalm chapter 25, verses 12 and 14, he wrote, Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. So do you want meaning, purpose, direction in life? Are you at a crossroads and you aren't sure which way to go? Fear of the Lord will ensure that you're instructed in the way that you should go in accordance with God's will and purposes. How many of you want to avoid temptation in your life? Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. By the fear of the Lord, 
we keep away from evil. Again, it's the fear of the Lord which results in the progressive growth in personal holiness. Uh, anyone in here have enemies? You might not be thinking that, uh, I don't have a lot of enemies, but I'll say this much. If you're a child of God, you have at least one, right? You have at least one. So David writes in Psalm chapter 34, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. From who? From your enemies. And if you don't have any enemies that you know of, like I said, you have at least one. And by the way, who's the angel of the Lord? Anybody know? It's Jesus. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. He protects and rescues those who fear him. Because to fear him is to know him, and to know him is to belong to him, and to belong to him is to love him. What about living a longer life? Anybody in here want to live a longer life? Man, there are so many products out there that are supposed to prolong your life. You know, you you ever go into a a self-help section or, you know, a a health food store, and it's like, wow, you you have to really put a lot of work into prolonging your life, and it's really expensive. You know, this, this, uh, you know, supplement thing, you know, that's like this big uh, is like 50 bucks, but it'll prolong your life. Everybody wants a longer life. Everybody does. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, this is just a general principle, of course. This isn't always true. If you fear the Lord, uh, but you you feel free to just walk across the street without looking both ways, I can't guarantee that your life will be prolonged. But the way that this works is the more we fear the Lord, the fewer bad decisions which could end our lives prematurely we make because we understand where God draws the line. And so we love him and we fear him enough that we don't want to cross that line, and so we make fewer bad decisions. Uh, Conversely, the years of the wicked, Solomon says, will be shortened. Why? Because they will be totally okay with making bad decisions, with crossing those lines that somebody who wants a long life shouldn't cross. They'll make bad decisions, many of which could be life-ending. They'll mix with bad company, if nothing else. But you know what we fear so often? You know what we fear more than God? Even as, as well-meaning, uh, dedicated followers of Jesus, it's so easy for us to fear people. To fear people. We, we so desire their approval and, and not, to, not to offend them, not to make them uncomfortable. It's difficult for us to even think about offending them or making them uncomfortable by talking about things like Jesus and, and the church and the Bible and, and God, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus knew this to be true, even in his time, of the most dedicated people, which is why he said, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's from Matthew chapter 10, <laughs> verse 28, which, by the way, is in the New Testament. And I have to wonder, what would that college professor of mine have said to verses like this. You know, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But you see, the tendency is for us to fear the disapproval of people more than we fear the destiny of their souls apart from saving faith in Jesus. We fear their disapproval more than we fear the eternal destiny of their souls. But this fear 
is misplaced. Let me give you a different perspective of this type of rejection. Let me encourage you not to fear making people uncomfortable. Don't fear making people uncomfortable, but fear that you won't make them feel uncomfortable. Fear that you never offend them with your life, with your ways, with your beliefs. Because we all know that the more we live out our faith, the more uncomfortable people get, the more offended people get if they don't know Jesus. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, he said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Man, he, that's a serious warning. If everybody thinks, you know, oh, he's a, he's a great guy. Even people who don't like Jesus. They think, oh man, he's great. I love being around that guy. Jesus says, woe to you. Woe. He also said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. That's from John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. So don't be afraid to make people feel offended or upset or uncomfortable because Jesus is basically telling us here that we can expect to be hated by the world if we're being faithful in the way that we're following him. Don't let worldly approval become your idol. And it's so easy for it to become one because we want approval. Don't let the world and their approval become an idol for you. Don't fear the world's rejection. Fear their acceptance. Because it says a lot about you and your life. Fear the world. Fear that the world will count you as one of their own. Just going with what Jesus said here. Now, just so that we're clear, fearing God is not incompatible with having a loving and intimate walk with the Lord. Those two things are not incompatible at all. We can love God with reckless abandon and yet still hold on to a healthy fear of his awesomeness and his power, his holiness. Paul wrote this about the freedom that we have uh, after we've come to the Lord, writing uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I I should first clarify something here, that there is a huge difference between having the fear of the Lord, which we should have, and having a spirit of slavery, which leads to fear. We don't have the former, we do have the latter. See, Paul was writing to people who were being persecuted. He was writing to people who were being beaten, tortured, imprisoned, or imprisoned, or, or killed for their faith in Jesus. And so Paul's basically saying, you have nothing to fear of this type of suffering. And that's why he goes on uh, to say that our temporary suffering at the hands of men pales in comparison to the glory that we'll receive someday because we are heirs of God and heirs with Christ. So why should we not fear what what men uh, can and will do to us? Romans 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So because through faith, by grace, through faith, we have received the spirit of adoption as God's children, we can cry out, Abba, which is Daddy, Daddy. 
Father. We once had a spirit of slavery to sin, but now we have adoption. Now we've been adopted. We've been taken into his family. See, a child can have both love, very, very intimate love for their parents and fear their parents at the same time. In fact, I'd say that it's unhealthy and unnatural for it to be any other way. I think it's healthy for children to have a sense of fear about the consequences of rebelling, rebelling against their parents' word or defying their parents. But at the same time, what parent wants uh, their children to pull away emotionally from them because they're, they're so afraid to even be in their presence, right? No parent wants that. Uh, what parent wants their kids to, to lay awake at night trembling and worrying about what their parents might think of them? No parent wants that. God doesn't want that. No parent wants these things. Um, and, you know, the, the way to, to illustrate this for, for me, the first thing that came to mind was the fact that, you know, uh, Jamie and Noel have started getting into archery, and I, I've really started thinking about getting back into archery. The, the last gift my grandfather uh, got me before he passed away was this compound hunting bow. And I don't know why he got that for me. I, I was a city boy. Um, you know, I, I don't know. But, but I have treasured that thing since, uh, since I got it, but especially after he passed away in the following year. Um, and after he went to be you know, with the Lord, part of my process of healing was to practice archery. And one of the first things they teach you when you go to an archery range is to wait to retrieve your arrows until everyone is ready. <laughs> Am I right? Um, yeah, you, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I probably don't need to explain why. I'll just skip that. But <laughs> if, it, see me after the service if I need to explain why you have to wait until everybody's done. But, you know, as, as long as somebody follows those rules and they wait for everybody else to be you know, done before they go out and get their arrows, they have nothing to fear. They have nothing to worry about. But if I were to, to knowingly and willfully uh, break that rule, man, I, I should be fearful, right? I'm not going to go out and demonstrate it, but I, I think I would be very fearful, or I should be. But, you know, that's the type of healthy fear that any child should have toward their parents. Uh, as long as the rules aren't willfully broken or challenged, man, there's, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to stress out about or, or, or fear so my children can expect to enjoy perfect safety and security until the moment that they decide to defy me, until they decide to rebel against me. And at that point, yeah, there will be consequences. There will be discipline. But it won't change my love for them, and I wouldn't do it as a way of hoping, wow, well, I hope that they you know, emotionally pull away from me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put the fear of God in them so that they lay awake at night. You know, no parent's going to do that. They want you know, the, the, the discipline to serve its purpose of correcting the behavior and in the meantime, drawing the relationship even closer. The author of Hebrews wrote, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. What a great verse. One of my favorites. So with that said, should you fear God's discipline? Yeah. You should. You should. It's not fun. I mean, if my kids break the rules, should they fear my discipline? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't love them. It means that I do. It means that I do love them. So should we fear God's discipline? Yes. But don't fear it as much as you fear sinning and seeing no sign of discipline. 
Fear God's discipline, but don't fear it as much as you fear sinning without seeing a hint of discipline in your life. See, love and fear can absolutely coexist harmoniously with one another. And when these are the emotions, love and fear, when we find that balance, see, you can go too far to either side, you know, where, where you know, God's just your buddy and he'll never correct you, to, oh, I don't want to offend God and I'm trembling. You, you can go to one extreme or the other. The, the goal is to find the balance where you bring both things into account, where you've got the intimate love for God and you've got the fear of God. So these two things can absolutely exist together. And when these emotions are the emotions that govern our feelings toward God, they'll order our lives in a way that pleases God. Now, this study on uncommon sense is based on the life and the writings of Solomon. And most of us probably know that Solomon didn't always exercise the wisdom that he had. He was a sinner, just like you and me. He, he had pride issues, just like you and me. And he lost the fear of God for a long, long season in his life. He became an idolater. He became a polygamist, had more wives than we even, uh, than we even really know about. He married multiple foreign wives who led him to worship their false gods, their idols, instead of the one true God who had given him this wisdom in the first place. So Solomon went on to build uh, memorials for the false gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites and for the false gods of all of his wives. What a powerful and sad illustration of what happens when a person loses sight of the fear of the Lord. The only reason Solomon did those things is because he lost sight of the fear of the Lord. He thought too highly of himself. But eventually, when he was an old man, he reflected back on the errors of his ways. He reflected back on the season when he walked away from God because he stopped fearing God. And he thought about all the things that he had learned through his errors. And he summed it up with one simple thought. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He wrote the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Yes, God offers an abundance of grace to you and to me through faith in Jesus. More grace than you or I could possibly ever see the end of. Nevertheless, every single one of us who's in the family of God, is called to be sanctified, set apart, holy, undefiled by the ways of the world. And in order for any of that to become more than just this you know, unrealistic goal that we'll never be able to achieve, we have to have the fear of God. That's the beginning and it's the end as well of wisdom. It's only because he wills our existence that we exist. You ever think about that? The only reason I'm alive, the only reason I'm here is because it was okay with God for my parents to procreate. It's only by his will that we take each breath. His power is beyond our comprehension. And for that reason, don't fear the things that are created, but do fear the one who created it all. Because he remains sovereign over everything 
and every circumstance. Don't try to live a life that's free of fear, but live a life in fear of the right things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Solomon's life and writings, his uncommon sense reveals that it's a foundational principle to living a life that's pleasing to God. Let's pray. God, we confess to you that we are prideful and that it is so tempting for us to embrace this ideology of independence and self-governance. But Lord, we pray that you would turn us from those things, from those principles, and that you would instill in us a healthy balance between fear and love, Lord, where we walk in fear of you, and that fear governs every step that we take, every decision we make, the plans we make, the words we speak. God, may it all reflect your awesomeness, just the fact that we recognize how awesome and how powerful you are. At the same time, Lord, we pray that through discipline, you would draw us nearer to you, that you would teach us your ways, that we may walk in them, that we may stay in them because of a healthy dose of fear of you. God, we thank you for making an everlasting covenant with us, that you loved us, that you sent your son to die for us, even though we didn't deserve it. Lord, we just pray that you would teach us to be more and more like your son. Give us that healthy fear of you in order that our lives may reflect the holiness that you've called us to walk in. May you be glorified in our lives in that way. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. We see you. Beautiful, you're beautiful. Your love is sweet and beautiful and I will stay here waiting for beautiful. Beautiful.